today, we're going to, I just felt impressed in my heart to just do a little bit of a word wash this morning. Say, what in the world's a word wash? You know, it, thank God for what he does in saving us. You can never outdo the work of salvation. But how many of you understand that, that, that what God does at salvation is, though it is a complete and finished work, it's the beginning of a lifelong work. It's the beginning of what God wants to do for the rest of your life. And so sometimes I just like to do a little word wash. In other words, I just want to just bathe my spirit in the word of God. And this last week, I found myself one morning just, just meditating on Psalm chapter 40. And so uh, what I want to do is I just want to read Psalm chapter 40 today. I want us to read all 17 verses and just allow the word of God to just renew us and wash over us. I'm telling you, the word of God is powerful, church. If you'll apply it to your life, it's powerful. In fact, as you're finding your place in Psalm 40, the Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about Christ's relationship with the bride, his church. And this is, this is what the Bible says. It says that he wants to make her holy. How does he do it? Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's what the Word of God wants to do. The Word of God wants to wash you like water. Imagine if you had a, a, a shirt that was all stained and dirty from, from working, and, and you would throw that, that shirt in the washing machine and put soap in there, and then what would happen? The water and the soap, it would move in between the fibers and break up all of the, of the dirt and the soil in that shirt to make it clean. The Bible says that's what God wants to do. That's what Jesus wants to do for his church through the word. He wants to cleanse her by washing her with water through the word. Why? It says in the next verse, and so he can present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. That's what the Word of God is going to do for us this morning. That's what the Word of God will do for you any day if you just open it up and allow your mind to be renewed in the Word. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, I'm getting to Psalm 40. Give me a minute. It says, I'm getting warmed up. It's the first service. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that's what happens when we open up the word, when we meditate on the truth. Our minds are renewed. And then it says the result is then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I don't know a single Christian that doesn't want to know God's will. And so he says the way to do that is to have your mind renewed. Can I just tell you the reason that uh, Adult and Teen Challenge is so much more effective than all the other recovery programs is because of this book right here. It's the truth. Because you, you can get somebody out of a habit, you can detox a person, but if their mind is not renewed, if they're not conformed in the image of Christ Jesus, you heard it testified already, they're just going to go back. They're going to go back to the same pattern, the same mindset. It's the same for any one of us. we we got to get a word wash today. Listen, thank God that your, your spiritual birth in Christ is like a physical birth. It's miraculous. But for those of you that have kids, how many of you know you still need to wash the baby? I mean, it's beautiful. It's miraculous. It's glorious. But could you clean them up before you hand them to me? Because that's, that's gross. 
There's a lot of Christians like that. You're like, you've been born again, but you need to be washed in the word. Maybe that was too much, but I think it'll stick with you. Psalm chapter 40. We're just gonna, we're gonna just let the word wash over us today as we move through these verses together. Verse one says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Now let me just say, uh, the word patiently here is a pretty generous translation. Because if you read this in the, in the original Hebrew, what it literally reads is, waiting I did wait for the Lord. Or, or it could be translated this, I waited and waited. So it's not so much about David having all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not because David is incredibly patient with God. He said, patiently I waited because I, I just waited and I waited and I waited a little more. In other words, I didn't have any other options. You know, I, it's, it's funny to me how some people, they, they get all, you know, bold and, and, and zealous in their faith. And they start, you know, decreeing and declaring all this stuff they're going to do. God, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And while I appreciate the faith, how many of you know you can't make God do anything? We can't make God do anything. And so David is waiting and he's waiting on God. And the reason he was out of options is, is because of verse 2 and 3. He's stuck. Look at it with me. Verse 2 says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Listen, David was stuck. He, he described it as a pit. He described It was like a cistern. It was muddy and slimy in the bottom. And he's sinking, and he's in despair, and he says, I'm calling out to God. Can I just tell you that sometimes the most gracious thing that God will do for you is let you run out of rope. Sometimes in God's grace, he'll just let you run. I mean, if David had had any rope left, if he had any options left, he would have climbed his way out. He's done it before. He would have found another way. He would have made it work somehow, but he's reached the end of his rope, and now he's just waiting on God. And here's the good news about God. His rope of grace reaches deeper than your depth of sin. The Bible says where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In other words, you, you could you can be at the end of your rope, but God's got more rope. God can reach you by his grace. And so the rope of redemption reaches down. It grabs a hold of David. Can I tell you today, church, faith is not climbing up out of your past failures. Faith is clinging to the hope of the rope of redemption. That's, that's the hope of salvation. It's not, it's not about me, like, getting, getting it together. It's not about me uh, pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It's not about me trying harder or striving more. It says, he lifted me. That's what David said. Not I picked myself up. He lifted me. He says, he gave me a place to stand. Catch the pronouns here. He put a new song in my mouth. So there's three things that are immediately available for you at the other end of the rope of redemption. He says there's salvation, there's a, a song, and there's significance. Right there in verse 2 and 3, he said, he lifted me. He gave me salvation. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. 
if we confess. He said, salvation is available to you. That's why when David made his confession, and we have it recorded in Psalm 51, when David made his confession to the Lord of, of his sin, and he, he came clean about his, his secret sins and the things he had been hiding, he said confidently in Psalm 51 and 17, he said, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. David knew that about the Lord. And that's why he said in verse 1, he turned to me and he heard my cry. But can I just say to you today, friends, that the cry that God heard and responded to was not a cry that says, God, where are you? It wasn't a cry that said, somebody get me out of this place. It wasn't a cry that said, I don't deserve to be here. In fact, the only cry that God will hear from a heart that is rebellious against his is a cry of repentance. That's what he's listening for. That's what he responds to. Not, not a bargaining chip, a cry of repentance that says, God, forgive me. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that if we're not calling out in repentance to God, if we're trying to hold on to our own lifestyle, to our own, uh, our own sin, and yet still get the favor of God, the Bible says God won't even hear you when you pray. A lot of people don't understand that. They think, you know, well, God, that's just, that's what he does. God's just up there in heaven, and he just listens for prayer all the time, and he answers everybody's prayer. But David knew better. That's why he said in Psalm 66 and verse 18, he said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In other words, if I had been in the bottom of that pit and been calling out for help with no intention of changing my ways, with no intention of surrendering my life, with no intention of confessing my sin, God would not have even listened. He would have let me stay there. Proverbs 28 says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. So if you're, if you're not going to listen to my commands, don't call on me to save you. You know, we often talk about Jesus as Savior and Lord. But can I tell you, he won't be Savior if you don't make him Lord. Said, if I just, if I just don't listen to God, he's not going to listen to me. But he got a place of salvation. He got a place of standing. He said, you lifted me from the miry, put, uh, miry pit and you set my feet on a firm place to stand. You can live your whole life looking for significance. You can live your whole life looking for a, a place to stand, a place to belong. But, but I love this verse because it says when you give your life to Christ, he gives you a place to stand. He gives you a firm foundation. He gives you something that, that is that is stable in your life. And then the third thing I love, he said, you give me a song. You gave me a song. Verse 3 said, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Didn't you love hearing these men sing a new song today? The song of the redeemed. Amen. He'll change your tune. That's what he's saying. He's not just going to save your soul. He's going to change the tune of your life. People that come in contact with you, it's going to, have you noticed it sounds different in the mall in, uh, in December and November than it does in October? You know, you walk into the mall in October and like some, some like motion sensor witch goes, 
And you're like, what the world? You know, scaring all the children. And then you walk through the mall in December and you hear like Bing Crosby. You know, and it's like, it's the most wonderful time. I'm like, it feels different. He said, that's what happens when a person gives their life to Christ. I give you a new song. I change the melody of your heart and your life. Now David is saved. Three verses in, he's been picked up from the pit. He's been given a place to stand. He has a new song in his heart. And then he gets out of that pit and he looks back in it. And in verse 4 through 5 is David's reflection. Look at it. Verse 4 says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done, the things that you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So this is David. He's saying, man, this is what God has done for me. He set me free. That's the testimony of the redeemed. So then he goes on to say, this is what, this is what I've learned about following the Lord. Because I can look back at where I used to be. Because I've got a testimony of what God has done for those he has redeemed. Then he goes on to say, this is, this is what I'm learning about following the Lord. Look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. In other words, what David is saying, here's what I've learned about following God. It's not about all the outward actions. It's not about being a churchgoer or a tithe payer. What God wants is my whole heart. David looks back and he says, this is what I learned after God redeemed me. He wanted my heart the whole time. And then he makes this statement, and he says, my ears you have opened. Can I tell you something? When David said that, he wasn't saying, God, I didn't used to listen to you, but now I listen. He wasn't saying, you helped me to hear. He was actually saying something a whole lot more significant than that. And to understand what David meant to under, when he said, my ears you have opened, you got to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 21. Because there was a practice in the culture that the Bible explains in Exodus 21. That helps us to know what David meant when he said, Lord, you have opened my ear. Listen to these verses. Exodus 21, 2 says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he's to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she gets to go with him. But if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and the children belong to the master and only the man should go free. Now, now I know we, we have a, a really appropriately dark and negative lens uh, as Americans when we look at slavery because of the atrocities in our own culture. But understand in this time, this was more of like indentured servitude. This was, you know, this was saying, I, this is my employer, I, I work for you. And so here's the thing, if you came as my servant, and then God blessed you, and you got a family, and then your years of service, the contract is over, you go, but the family stays. So this is the, this is the opportunity, it says in verse 5, but if the servant declares, I love my master, and my wife, and my children, I don't want to go free. You can, but I don't want to. Verse 6 says, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost 
and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he'll be his servant for life. So when you saw a person that had their ear pierced through with an awl, you're looking at a person that had every right and every privilege to go free, but that ch- person chose to be a career servant. That said, no, I'm staying, with, I'm staying with you for the rest of my life. And so in verse 6, David says then, uh, in verse 6 here, Exodus 21 says, then the master must take them before the judge. In other words, the judgment, a representative of God. So they would literally take them to the house of God. They would take them to the tabernacle or to the sanctuary, and it was against the doorpost of the church that that servant would put his ear, and his master would, would drive an all through it. It was a, a consecrated covenant in the presence of God and witnesses to say, I am with you for the rest of my life. And David is saying in Psalm verse 40 and 6, he said, God doesn't desire sacrifices. He doesn't want offerings. He doesn't just want church attendance. God opened my ear. I gave him the rest of my life. I'm committed. And then David says, so this is my vow. Because I gave him my life because he opened my ear. Look at verse 7 through 10. This is the vow that every Christian ought to make. Then I said, here I am. I've come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. You know, the Bible says all of your days were written in God's scroll before one was lived out. So this is the acknowledgement of the church. We go, you know, God's in control. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. All of my days are written in his scroll. I desire, verse 8 says, to do the will, your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness from the great assembly. That's David's vow. That should be our vow. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So he said, I have not sealed my lips. You, you have a responsibility to tell your story, to not just say, well, I just worship God in my heart. Open your mouth. We have a responsibility to tell our story. And I, I, wish, I wish that was the end of the psalm. For two reasons. For one, I'm out of time. Uh, but secondly, because everything looks really nice at this moment, and you can kind of wrap it up with a bow, and, you know, David was delivered. He committed his heart to the Lord. He made his vow. He consecrated himself. But as you can see, if you have your Bible open in front of you, there's still seven verses left. There's still seven verses left. And here's a guy that's been saved and redeemed. And and he has a standing with God, and he's got a song in his heart. Many see it in fear, and they put their trust in the Lord, and so he's a witness. Man, I wish that was the end of the psalm. But look at verse 11 quickly. He says, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sin, my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased 
to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. So understand this. David's already been forgiven of sin. He's already been rescued from, from the pit. We, he's already been saved, and yet in this moment, I mean, in verse 5, he, he speaks about everything the Lord has done, and he says it's too much to describe. It's without number. But then you compare verse 5 to verse 12, and he's thinking about all the bad decisions that he's made, and he says, I have troubles without number that surround me. Anybody been there before? Come on, let's take our halo off this morning. You can be saved and still be in trouble. You can be redeemed from the pit and still have issues. And this is David right here. He says, man, when I think about everything God has done, it is limitless. I couldn't count all the ways. But when I think about all the stupid things I've done, it's without number. It's limitless. See, the key to having joy is deciding which big number you're going to focus on. You're going to be driven by the big number of things you've done wrong or the big number of things God has done right. We don't praise the Lord this morning because we got it all right. We praise him because he is all good. He's good. He's faithful. Verse 14 and 15, we're going to cross the finish line together. Let's get in it. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. David's no different than us. There's people that were gunning for him. There were people that were just waiting for him to trip up again. People that were just, aha, you said you were going to do this. I knew you'd fall back. I knew you'd mess up. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you wouldn't keep your promise. David looks at them and he says, there's some people in my life that are just focused on, on trouble. Being around them is trouble. All they see in me is trouble. The fruit of their life is trouble. Here's what he says. They want to vindicate themselves and serve their own agenda. They want to see me fall. And David says here, he says, what they want to do is they want to take my life and they want me to be ruined. But ultimately what he says here in these verses is, God, I, I, I'm trusting you with all my haters. That's, that's it. I'm trusting you. Like, there's always going to be people that want to see me ruined. There's always going to be people that want to see me not succeed. But God, I, I trust you with them. I, I, I give them to you. And then the last two verses. And it, it shares two things, and I, I pray both of these things happen today as we get ready to close this service. Verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. Can we just say that together? The Lord is great. Come on, one more time. The Lord is great. Amen. May all who seek you and rejoice and be glad in you, may they who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, verse 17 says, I'm poor and needy. This is a saved man talking. This is a man who's already been lifted out of the pit. 
He called on God and God heard his cry. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me, for you are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So here's what we're going to do as we end this service today. Two things. One, the people of God are going to declare the Lord is great. The Lord is great. In fact, if you could, I'd invite you to stand with me once again. The second thing that's going to happen today is we're going to call on God to be our help and our deliverer. David began this psalm by saying, I waited and I waited. I waited on God and he showed up. And now he ends the psalm saying, I'm waiting again. I'm waiting for God to come and move. It reminds me when I read this psalm that the altar is not a one-time experience for the people of God. It's not like you you come to the altar once and you gave your heart to Jesus and now you check that box and and now you just get to be a spectator for the rest of your, your Christian life. No, no, the altar is a place where we come again. We say, God, your servant, my ear has been opened. I'm your child, but I'm poor and needy. I'm spiritually bankrupt today. I I, I feel impoverished in my soul. I need your help, God. And so I'm waiting again. And I want to ask the prayer team to come back one more time. And if you're here today and you say, man, I need God. I need God to just meet me at my place of need. I want to invite you to come. Even now, I'm going to pray. And while I pray, if you want to just come, we want to meet with you. We want to pray for you. And then the redeemed of the Lord are going to lift their voice and declare how great our God is. Father, we thank you today. Right now, all over this room, as men and women, young people are coming to the altar, God, we thank you that in this moment, you're here to meet our need. Listen, don't hold back. Don't be ashamed to come if the Lord's dealing with your heart today. God, this is a a moment that you've set up by divine appointment for us to encounter the truth of your word. So, Lord, we're waiting right now. We're calling out to you, God. We're poor. We're needy. May the Lord think of me right now, Lord. Your word declares that your eyes are roaming throughout the earth to find if there's any that would seek you. God, find us today seeking you. Hear our cry. We need you, God. We need you, God. You are my help. You are my God. Do not delay even as David cried out, God, I don't want to go, I don't want to leave the same way I came. Don't delay. Not another season, not another week, not another day. God, don't delay. Would you show up even now in the heart and life of every person that seeks you today? Come on, just take a few more moments right now and just seek him. Ask him to show up, to bring healing, to bring freedom, to break bondage, to break addiction off of your life.